Romans chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Again, grateful for Jeff stepping in, and I know that he does a wonderful job in ministering and in teaching as well, and I always enjoy listening to him expound on God's Word, whether it be in our class or in our, in our services when he has that opportunity to speak as well. Romans chapter 6, remember as we begin this particular passage of Scripture, Paul is moving from uh, a doctrine of justification that he has talked about in the previous chapters now to starting to talk about sanctification. And he starts out this particular chapter by reminding us that as believers, we're not to be living in in sin. Sin is not to be a part of our, our life. It's, it's no longer a part of our, our DNA. In fact, he starts out in that very first, uh, uh, very first verse of this particular chapter, shall we sin, that, that grace may abound. And, and of course, uh, with the strongest negative in the original languages, Paul says, absolutely not. God, God forbid. Right? We've been redeemed. Uh, we've been saved. We've been born again. And Paul goes on in, this, in these verses we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and he talks about the fact that, that our identity is no longer in ourselves. Our, our identity is now in Christ. And he says we've been baptized in Christ. Right? So now our, our, our responsibility is not to ourselves, but rather it's to, it's to God. I remember as a teenager, when I would leave the house to go out with my friends in the evening, my father would often look at me and he'd say, remember who you are. Now, he was, he was making several statements with that one statement. First of all, he was reminding, you profess to be a Christian, make sure you behave like a Christian. Second of all, you're a Steinhouse. Don't bring any reproach upon my name. Okay? Somewhere down in the bottom, you know, I got to represent myself, but there was a whole litany of, of things that I had to follow through. As Christians, if we've been redeemed, I've been baptized in Christ, I'm identified with Christ, Amen. therefore my life ought to reflect Christ. Right? So he goes on and he says, this, this is something we're to, to know. This is something we are to, to understand, our identity and who we are. And then he said, as, as we concluded that particular lesson a couple of weeks ago, the fact that we then need to reckon ourselves to Christ, or there needs to be that, that uh, uh, aspect of, I'm resting in what Christ has done for me. Right? Now, notice as we go through these first, first 11 verses, he talks a lot about knowing. All right, uh, verse three. Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized unto His death. Verse six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Verse nine. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, and death hath no more dominion over Him. And because we know these things, then we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. So, so when we come to what we're going to get into here this morning, it begins with a basis of, of knowledge. John Stott, in his, his commentary on the book of Romans, writes this, The major secret of holy living is in the mind. It is in knowing. It's knowing that our former self was crucified with Christ. 
It's in knowing that the baptism into Christ is baptism into his death and resurrection, and in reckoning that through Christ we are dead to sin and alive unto God. And therefore we are to recall, to ponder, to grasp, to register these truths until they are integral to our mindset that a return to the old life is unthinkable. Now stop and think with me in a second. We don't act upon something unless we believe it to be true. Correct? A lot of us in this room, we, got, we, we have a good knowledge of Scripture. We know Christ died for us. We know that. We know that when we trusted Christ as our personal Savior, sin no longer had dominion over us. We know that because we are redeemed, we have eternal life with Christ. We've been baptized in Christ. We know all of these things. But I think where we struggle is in what we're going to talk about today. And that is, how do we respond to what we believe? A young man was talking with his friend about the girl that he was in love with. But he was struggling with the fact of, would she reciprocate that love? Would she give me back that love as, that I want to, to give to her? He knew that he loved her. He knew that she was still going out with him. And his friend looked at him and he said, Man, he said, wake up. This girl loves you. You know what the young man, he, he, he kind of sat up and he said, You know what? You're right. She really does love me. How could I ever doubt it? But it's not enough just to reckon that fact. You know what he needs to do? He needs to respond to that love by going and asking her to marry him. We say, hey, I know God loves me. I know that when I was saved, sin no longer had dominion over me. We know that. But you, never, you know what we never do? We never go grasp the reality of that and make it a part of who we are in our lives. So Paul, in our chapter this morning, challenges, challenges his readers to act upon that which we understand to be real in regards to our Christian, stand, our Christian status. Our responsibility, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, is that we are to live as a holy people. All right? This is what Paul is making a declaration of beginning in verse 12 as well. So we're going to look this morning at verses 12 through 14 and see what, Peter, or see what Paul has to say about how we go about living in holiness. Verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Now there's three exhortations that Paul gives to us in these, these several verses that we're going to look at 
this morning. The first exhortation that he gives to us is found in verses 12 and 13 in the fact that, that we're not to yield to sin. Sin can no longer rule over us. In Romans chapter 1, as Paul describes the unregenerate man, as he describes the sinful man, God says, I gave them up unto their vile affections. I gave them up into their sinful living. And what is being implied in those particular verses is the fact man has no recourse, man has no other options but to live in sin or to walk in sin or to sin. Unsaved man cannot live in holiness. They can't. It is, it is, they are totally unable to, to function in a manner that brings glory to God. The only one they can serve is themselves. And their life is characterized by li- a life of sin. When we're saved, Paul reminded us back in verse 6 of this cha- same chapter that when we, we were saved, our old man was crucified that the body of sin might be what? destroyed. Now, and I may have talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but it bears repeating here uh, at this particular point. It's not the idea that it was annihilated, obliterated, and tossed away, never to have any impact or influence in our life again. That's not what Paul is saying here when he says our old body or our old man has been destroyed. Rather, the word destroyed there in verse 6 speaks about the fact that our old man has been rendered rendered uh, I'm acting your age. I'm, I'm, it just went. It just went. It just, right, right out. Right out. My. Right. Huh? No act to it. There's no act to it. Just it just ha- it just happens. Okay. Uh, it, it's rendered. It's rendered inoperative. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. It 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 doesn't. Before it was controlling us. So when we are crucified with Christ, when we've died to self, and we're baptized with Christ. What Paul is saying, that old man, that old sinful nature, no longer has any authority over you at all. So notice the last phrase in verse 12. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now this is important. Because even though the old body has been destroyed or rendered inoperative, it's still there operating. J.D. Greer gives this illustration using World War II as a backdrop. When the Berlin, uh, when the Allied forces took control of Berlin in World War II, it was at that particular point in the European theater that the power of the Axis countries was broken. The war was over, right? The Allies were in control. But they didn't have social media like we do today to be able to permeate that as quickly to everybody as you'd like it to do. So even though the Allies had gained control and taken control, the Axis powers had been destroyed, there were still powers, or there were still pockets of Nazi soldiers throughout Germany that were uh, uh, in the countryside, that were controlling small towns, that were still terrorizing citizens, 
even though they were no longer in power. The same thing is true as Christians. Christ has broken through. He has broken the control of sin over our life. And Christ sits in power or authority in our life. But sin still exists out in the, out in the margins. It's still, it's still there operating, going about its, its work slowly and methodically. And what happens oftentimes in our life is we drift to the margins. We drift to where sin is slowly continuing to do its work in, in lives and in hearts and in situations. And what happens is we end up giving ourselves to that small pocket of power and sin now controls our life. Now, it doesn't have to. But Paul does remind us, hey, we are, we are weak individuals. In fact, when he makes the statement, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, the idea of mortal uh, is the realization that, you know what, we have weak bodies. I think we're all very well aware of the weakness of our bodies. I talk to folks my age and your age, and in my mind, in my mind, I can still do what I could do when I was 21. But when I act upon what my mind says I can do, my body screams, I am weak! I can no longer do this. Are you with me there? Amen. Okay. But the same thing is true spiritually. Sometimes we get a little bit haughty. Hey, I know. I know. I can, I can defeat. I can destroy. But our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is with the prince of the power of the air. And we are weak individuals. And so Paul's admonition here then is the fact that we have to keep ourselves under submitting ourselves to the authority of God that sin doesn't reign. It's not, it's not the authority in our life. It doesn't have to be. But see, we allow it to be. You know why? Because we do not reckon ourselves to be dead. Something you've been feeding for all your life is harder Go on, die. <laughs> True. True. Okay? Speaking from a man who's ate Leona's food all his, all his married life, okay? Maybe even before that. But that's absolutely correct. But still, but see, you know what? We have a power. You know, some of you have been on a cruise. Okay? There's lots of things people do on cruises. What do Christians do on a cruise? Yeah, we eat. We 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 ate it. We ate it. We ate at certain times. You know why? Because we were we were at, we ate at certain times because we are always preparing to eat at the next meal. Okay? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you had to eat because you had to give so many hours in between those meals, so you had to eat at the same time, right? Now, I'll be honest. When 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 I walked off that ship last last Sunday morning, I was like, I don't I don't want to I don't want to see another roll. I don't want to see another piece of cake. I don't want to see another piece of chicken. I don't want to see another steak. I don't want to see another potato. I am tired of eating. Right? Uh, and I don't even know where I was going with that. 
<laughs> well, yeah, you miss me out, okay? <laughs> I'm just, uh, you're fine. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But you know, as a Christian, here's where I was. Food, I have to say no to. But you know, when it comes to the temptations and testings that are before me, I don't have to. I don't have to do it in my That's strength. Right. I can diet. I can crash diet under the power and the authority of God who spoke this universe into existence. It's not something I'm doing myself. But you know what? We struggle because we don't submit to that authority. We don't reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. We know. See, we know. But we don't act upon that knowledge. We're that guy going, does she love me? Does she love me? And we never act upon that love. We just, we just wonder. So this is what Paul is, is, is implying here in this particular, particular verse. We don't have to let sin reign in our mortal body that we should obey it in the lust thereof. Our responsibility is to keep the sin nature dethroned and the person of Christ enthroned in our life. And that is determined by an act of will. Only the Christian has the ability and the will to obey God. So how do we do that? We come to verse 13. And the admonition is to sanctify your body, or to set your body apart. Notice he says in verse 13, Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, as Paul begins this, this verse with the word neither, he's not indicating now that we do something different from the preceding verse, but rather he's expressing verse 12 in a different and even in a more, in a more practical manner. So when he says neither yield, the word yield means to present, and, and uh, the idea is we are to give ourselves, what? To God. And what are we to give? He says, our members. Neither yield you your members. All right, he's speaking of, of the body, but he's speaking specifically of the parts that make up our body. We'll come back and we'll talk about this in just a minute. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, in my, uh, I have the uh, New American Standard, and I've used it for years, so I'm, that's what I do, and I always read his, which is, is the King James. But sometimes I like to read both to see what I come up with. And what you're saying, neither yield, mine says, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So right. do not keep doing it. it right. Is, it, which I thought was interesting. There, there's a, there, there is a continuation yeah. in, in the tense that is that is there in that particular in that particular verse. And, and the idea of instruments, again, is the idea of a weapon or a tool. Right? So I'm not to, to take the members of my body and use them as tools to perpetuate that which is unrighteous. Right? He's saying, I need to take the members of my body and I need, I need to surrender them to God right? so that 
my members become tools of perpetuating righteousness. Right? Now, the, the verb tense in this idea of presenting, yes, there's a continuation, but it also implies a once-and-for-all presentation or a once-and-for-all surrender. When we... I saw a shirt on the cruise. The longest sentence in the world is the sentence, you have to think about this for a minute, is I do. Okay? It's the longest <laughs> sentence in the world. Okay? Now, when we got married, when we got married, we presented ourselves to our mate when we said, I do. All right? One time. But have there, have there been other areas and decisions and choices and presentations of submission based upon that one-time presentation of surrender? Absolutely. Right? Before I was married, if a buddy called me up and said, hey, I got tickets to a ball game, do you want to go? Sure. Sure, I'll go. Now, if somebody calls me and says, "You got tickets? I got tickets to a ball game. You want to go?" You know what I have to say? You know, let me check with my wife and see what's on the calendar. Okay? You know what I'm doing? I am making I am making a submission. I am making a statement of submission to a a, a uh, based upon a once complete surrender decision. So when I trust Christ as my personal Savior, right? I'm surrendering myself to God. But from that point on, there are other aspects of surrender that I make in my life based upon that one-time surrender. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's what Paul is, is saying here. We're, we're going to make a one-time presentation to God, but there's going to be a continual presentation that takes ba- place in our life based upon that one-time, that one-time surrender. Right? So, so what is he saying? We present ourselves to God. We yield our members, not as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but we yield ourselves as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto to God. Now, let me me meddle a little bit here. What are the works of the flesh? Envy, Malice and envy, strife, malice, anger, yeah. slander, division, hatred. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, there are others. There's drunkenness, there's fornication, there's adultery. And when those things are preached on, you know what we do? Amen, brother. Preach it. Preach it. Park a while. Park a while, these unbelievers, they need to hear this. Right? Do the unbelievers need to hear yes. that they're sinful beings and need Christ as their Savior? Absolutely they do. Yeah? But we need to hear it. Yeah. But you know, when we say, we have someone get up to you, start evil, slandering, <laughs> gossip, jealousy, <laughs> anger, <laughs> rep- <laughs> we sit back I mean, and say, we don't like no, we, no, we don't. You know, I just, I, you know, a little righteous indignation is good for the soul, right? <laughs> what did you tell me for? <laughs> hey, 
just I just want us to pray for RJ. He's having marriage problems. <laughs> <laughs> we we gossip. We gossip in the most spiritual ways. We we demonstrate anger in the most spiritual way. We we demonstrate strife in the most spiritual way. But you know what God calls it? He says it's a work of sin. And what is Paul telling us? He says we're not to present our members. That's our mouth. That's our mouth. Hey. We listen to that stuff. What are we not? We're not to present our ears. Why? Hey, God saved me. I surrendered myself to him. Therefore, my ears and my mouth are not to hear and to speak those things which, which grieve the heart of God. How about the things we watch? Things we watch. I, I, I'll just, I, again, you know, there's things that show up on TV and you go, oh, that's terrible. And what do we do? We keep watching it. I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. But what does Paul say? Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Hey, remember, you're dead to God. So do what? Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. See, one of the problems in the church today is we're not concerned about sanctification. We're not concerned about, about holiness and about holy living. But yet Paul says, hey, we need to sanctify ourselves. We need to set ourselves apart unto God. Right? And then in verse 14, the admonition is to yield, yield to grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul kind of finishes this chapter with an inclusive, grand, and triumphant declaration. And, he's, and, and we could say this in an expanded form. The accomplishment of serving God with our bodies shall be on the account of the fact that sin shall not have lordly dominion over us. Why? Because I live under grace. My battle with sin, as Charles Hodge, the, the 18th century theologian, said, it's not a hopeless struggle which we engage in, but it's one where victory is certain. And it's with joyful confidence, which the apostle here expresses, that the power of sin has been effectively broken and that the triumph of holiness effectually secured by the work of Christ. Why is that? We live under the age of grace. Paul is saying... I'm giving you something you can't earn. When he says we're not under the law, when man was under the law, how did how was right how what was the only way righteousness could be attained? By working it and by keeping the law. In other words, righteousness could only be attained by perfection. Paul says we're not under that standard anymore. Why? Because none of us can be perfect. We don't live under the law. We live under grace. And our power and our strength is not of ourselves. It is in what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. And therefore, therefore, I give myself to him and I allow Christ to have that victory as I yield to him and allow him to reign and to, and to have dominion in my life. 
So in verse 15, Paul concludes with a rhetorical question once again and an answer. What then shall we say? Because we are not under the law, but under... I'm sorry. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. What's the answer? No, absolutely not. Sin does not give us a license to sin. Sin gives us a, a, a... I'm sorry. Grace gives us the ability to live victoriously over sin. So when we say, hey, I can live any way I want, that's a, fault. that's a wrong answer for a believer. I can't live any way that I want. My life is to be subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that I do. Now understand, before we can defeat sin in our life, there has to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care how long you've gone to Union Grove Baptist Church, I don't care if you're a member. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have to come to Him for the forgiveness of sin. First for eternal life, and then to know the power that comes through Christ to defeat sin and wickedness in our life. Christ alone, Christ alone gives us, gives us that victory. For those of us who are believers, again, this doesn't imply in, 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 in what Paul is writing, the fact that this journey to sanctification is simple, easy, or automatic. It takes discipline. It takes focus. It takes commitment. But anything that was worth having is going to take effort, is it not? Listen. Guys, men... When we got married, it didn't just happen. We had to work a little bit. And maybe you had some, you got a beautiful woman sitting by your side, so, you know, I'm going to make you work a little bit. But you know what? In your mind and heart, you said, this is worth the effort. This is worth the effort. And I'm going to put forth the commitment and the dedication and the effort. Can I say this? God is worth the effort. Mm -hmm. And he's given us the ability and the power. May we surrender to him that we might know the victory through Christ that he wants to give to us as we reckon ourselves to him and act upon what he has done for us. Questions or comments as we conclude here this morning? Let's close in prayer then. Our gracious heaven, uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. I thank you, Father, that in this world we journey through, that we don't walk alone. I'm thankful that as believers we have a shepherd who walks beside us. That, Father, when we walk through the valleys and the trials and the struggles and the difficulties of life, that, God, you're there to walk with us. And sometimes you even carry us through those valleys. Father, when we're faced with times of temptation in our lives, when we are confronted with sinful habits that are in the past, have been in our past and sinful struggles that we have struggled with, that, Father, they're not sins that we overcome in our own power or our own strength. For, God, we've been crucified with you. We've been baptized with you. Our identity is in Christ. And so, Lord, our power and our strength no longer rest in us, but it rests in you. And I'm thankful this morning that we can enjoy victory over sin in Christ. And I pray that all of us here would focus and endeavor and purpose in our minds and our hearts to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto Christ, but alive unto, or dead unto sin, but alive unto Christ. And that God, 
we would live victorious lives that would, that would uh, shine forth brightly in a very dark world. Lord, our world, our world, our communities, our neighbors, our friends, so many of them are without Christ. And Lord, they're not going to see Christ unless they see Christ in us. So help us, Lord, to understand our responsibilities in the world we live in. I pray that you'd want to work in the service to, to follow. I pray that our hearts would be stirred and blessed with the music and the preaching uh, that we're going to, to come with worship to you this morning. I pray that you'd be exalted. I pray that lives would be changed. Um, and Lord, that again, you would receive all honor and glory for what takes place here today. For we ask all of us in our precious name. Amen. Amen.